Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. Hope you can hear me. You know my usual issue with paranoia. You've got to tell me in the chat if you're tuning in live whether you can hear me loud and clear. That's important. So please do let me know wherever you might be listening to this. I'm Jack Chew, 12.30 till 1 o'clock on weekdays. I chew it over, usually, with my friends talking about all things MSK and what associated things are going on in healthcare that we should know about. And I'm really delighted to be joined today by our latest. This is part of a CSP council election special series that we're doing with my fav five favoured candidates for the elections. And uh, Sandra Harden is joining me today. So you should hopefully see the caption there. Vote Sandra Harden is, of course, the title for this and certainly something that I hope to encourage you to do so. Last Friday, I went through my five top picks and why uh, why I think that they would be the best people suited to move our profession forward as uh, councillors on our CSP council. Um, and so each of them has joined me. Um, we did Monday, Wednesday. Here we are Thursday. We've got Emma joining me tomorrow and Ishmael on Monday. So that's the five. And so please do have a little look at that. And also have a look at the other candidates as well. I think one of the things that I concluded on Friday really is that engaging with the process is one of the most important outcomes for me and for any of us really is that it's nice to see a bit more chatter about these things than we usually get. Uh, that's been nice really. Engaging with that process is an important one. And the fact that we've got such brilliant candidates um, available that we can pick from is is a, is a really exciting time for the profession. And so, um, as I say, today with Sandra. Sandra, I met a few years ago now, and you might know her from joining me on the Physio Matters podcast. We had a spin-off series called Health Matters, and her and her colleague Sarah came on and talked about their specialist subject. Of, that would definitely be, if they, were, if they had a mastermind specialist subject, then it would be clinical governance. They are absolutely brilliant, the wizards of that. And, uh, and so they came on uh, Physio Matters, uh, Health Matters podcast to do to talk a bit about that and to what they were doing with at the time pal um and i think you know really one of the things that's exciting to chat to sandra about and what i'm going to pick in pick up today really is is about her her background um and her clinical practice as well as then into ops and management as to how that how that is so perfectly suited to her then helping to kick our profession on that next level because it really is i can't believe my luck that she's running and so uh, to be able to get stuck into that today uh, with her is a is a real privilege so hopefully i will uh, with a couple of clicks bring you sandra harding sandra can you hear me hello i can hear you and hi jack good, good. to see you nice one yes I'm, I'm sorry it was a bit frantic then i usually we have a bit of 10 minutes worth of patter beforehand, but I was just jumping straight off a meeting, but ever the professional, you're unflappable. Absolutely fine. You didn't mind. You didn't seem to mind that, which is good. So tell people a little bit about you then, if you can, those that haven't heard of you before. I can. I'm just going to say a little something first, Jack, because you know what I'm like. So first thing I want to say, folks, is excuse the puffy eyes. If you suffer from hay fever, <laughs> I am absolutely now in your camp. I've got the tablets, but I have to admit, today yeah. they are struggling. So you can see me wiping them. It's not crying a jack. It's yeah, me just too. No, me too. I agree. And also to say, what I've talked through, I completely echo what Jack has just said. The thing that's really important is whether you like or you don't like what I say, that is fine. Everyone has an opinion. You don't have to like them. But please, please, I think there's such a great set of candidates there. Please make sure you put your vote in because it really counts. And I think it's you know, a more difficult decision than it's perhaps been in a few years. But please get your ballot paper in and get signed because there's some brilliant candidates in there. Absolutely. And there you are, Jack just slots it up just like that. Ever the techie. I wish you could do that. So yes, you just asked a little bit about me and kind of why and what's happening. Mm. Um, I think for 
people, I'm not going to say how long I've been qualified, but it's a lot of years is all I'm going to say. I'm a graduate diploma in physiotherapy person. And I began with that and I, and I love a challenge. And I think if I start right back at the beginning, the first challenge I faced was when I went to school and I decided I wasn't going to university because graduate diplomas weren't done at universities, the headmaster in my school never spoke to me again because it meant I dropped out of his university statistics. So that made me even more determined that I was going to get into this profession. So he probably gave me a good start and it made me really think, actually, if you want to bring a challenge up, just bring it on because I've made my mind up and I know where I'm going, so I'm keeping going. So that's where it started. So I began in the NHS um, quite, quite a long time ago, real family feel around the NHS. You were really in the team, you belonged to the team, you know, you you ate together a lot there was lots of things we did together and i'm not saying it's like that now but it was in the time when i was qualifying that you actually spent time in uniform as a healthcare assistant as part of your training to get you to really understand what it feels like right from working as an assistant and being a support worker in the team which i think was a great grounding and so i started off in the nhs the classic round the rotations but I was approached as I started getting involved in sports outside um, work to actually start to look after some teams. And so alongside my NHS, I was developing some expertise in the sports field, which worked right up to working at an elite level. So that was going on alongside my NHS. And I also got involved in developing some clinical interest groups for the sports medicine physios, setting up the southwest area. As I was working in physio, I began to realise really outpatient MSK was where I wanted to be. And so I moved into that area in the NHS around the time of GP fund holding. So that tells a few people a little more about my age. So I got involved in GP fund holding, but also was asked to troubleshoot. So I was pulled back into the NHS to troubleshoot around the whole surgical intensive care service because I'd done a lot of that in my earlier training in a, a large intensive care unit in Leeds. I was also then asked because I'd done some hydrotherapy in my rheumatology to troubleshoot a hydro service. So all of these things were going on. In front holding, I started to do some, I moved back into front holding again, did some clinics and started doing some private work. From the private work, that developed into me setting my own private practice up alongside the NHS. And that really grew to the point where I couldn't do the two jobs. And a job came up in the independent sector. I'm a great believer in fate. So I went for it and I got it. And so I worked my way through being a physio department manager to being a multi-department manager to managing a hospital to moving to a national corporate and a um, physiotherapy provider, one of the biggest in the UK with over a thousand staff, where we learned lots of things and found out a lot about really about what do patients really want and what is excellence and what does it look like and how do we deliver it and how do we prove we're doing it. And I was encouraged to actually do a, a master's in business administration while I was there to take my, because I was doing sort of a lot of operational work, so I went down that route as well and became really passionate about cultures and that's what my dissertation was in. How do you get a really great culture at work so that the team want to go with you and deliver excellence and there's no, no need to have a stick. You don't even need a carrot. They actually understand and want to be there and you get there. So that kind of kept going and I came to a point where I thought, you know, it's time to give some of this back. 
So then I've set up in my own business where now we actually support other clinicians, helping them go through consultation. We're working with them as consults, consultants, helping them get ready for inspection, going through all those kind of things. But I still put my uniform on. This Saturday you'll see me teaching. Next Saturday I'll have my uniform on and I'll be on the wards. And that's how I work because I still love the patients. I love that team bit. But I'm really lucky. I have a career that I love, a profession that I'm still really passionate about, um, a career that I still think is going to, there's so many opportunities out there. And I think that right now, and why, why I've applied now, is there's so many opportunities and so many issues. How could you not want to get involved? How could you not bring this forward? And actually, I'm great at talking, but actually it's time to stop talking and start acting. And so I feel it's time to jump into having a go, seeing if I can bring some of what I've got, some of what I've learned, some of the skill set that I've developed, and hopefully use it more widely for the profession. Yeah, I mean, as you've just described your journey, you can so see that it doesn't take for a difficult exercise in joining those dots as to think that you'd be really well well positioned at all the other levels in which your career could have gone. But this is this is something that then profession-wide, one of the questions I'm trying to make sure I do ask each, each of the candidates that are joining me is, how do you feel that you'll be able to best hear from and represent some of those uh, in our profession uh, and within the society that's that don't necessarily say within a clinical discipline that you recognize or have worked with, uh, as well as some of the other backgrounds and experiences that you wouldn't have had direct lived experience working with? I think the big thing, um, and, and the, uh, this, this I think is a big difference between uh, during my development as a physio and now, is it's so much easier to connect to people. There's so much more opportunities to communicate. You know, we've We've got social media. We, there's just there's, there's lots of ways we can communicate. There's lots of ways we can talk to each other. We you know we post things and work via um, various platforms that are available you know on the internet. And so I think that this, to actually say to people is it's actually not that difficult now to put a question out there and ask for someone's opinion and get it back in the bucket loads. And so that's something that certainly I'd want to engage with. But I'm also aware that I have quite a wide network and a network of people in the profession aren't just physios because this is about developing the whole of this allied health profession. So there's people there who know me in that way. I've got quite a presence in some areas on social media, not all areas. And anyone who's worked with me will say, I am actually, I've got very broad shoulders. I like to listen and I'm very approachable. I'm firm and fair. So I very liked, very, you know, very happy to hear. And I've always worked by empowering teams and by listening to people. So that, as I say, you don't need a carrot or a stake. They want to come with you. So I'm hoping I can continue to do that. And people feel, actually, if Sandra gets there, I'll just send her a message because I know she'll respond. Because actually, integrity counts to me. And if I say I'll do it, then I will do it. Definitely. You, you've, you've mentioned that in your, in your opening remarks, say, in the document that goes out to all the members that integrity comes up in there and certainly that's something that I was most confident in vouching for not just as a, as a pick within this five but also was honoured to be asked to be one of your nominees and, and it's something that was the easiest thing to sign ever because that integrity has come through in every conversation we've ever had but also demonstrable within the actions that you've taken not just talk uh, but action. Uh, I suppose I want to try and invite then you, you've always been one to 
to speak your mind. It's one of the reasons we've got on and been able to make progress together. We've not had to talk around subjects. We've got on with it. And so with said integrity, I'd just like to invite your analysis, let's say, of what you feel is of the profession right now. What is it that you feel are the areas that are drawing you into? You know, you've mentioned opportunity exactly, of course, but there are challenges amongst that. But if I can just get you to then say, what are your, what are your core parts of your analysis at the moment? I think, I think one of the biggest things, and I was talking about this to someone the other day, is I feel there's a lot of disillusionment right now, and I find that's really quite sad. I think there's disillusionment by, with a lot of the membership about the CSP for various reasons, and I think also that must disillusion the CSP, because why is there this disjoint? Why, you know, that's one thing that I'd like to understand. Why isn't there more engagement? What is it? that the CSP is doing that people don't like or what is what is it that people want to see that the CSP doesn't know I think that's an issue for us and fundamentally irrespective of strategy irrespective of where we're going you can have the best strategy in the world but if people aren't engaged it's not going to happen so I think there's that engagement that disillusionment piece to kind of understand and I'm hoping that if I'm successful I can come in and with a fresh pair of eyes and think why is this going on? Why is there this disjoint? Because there's lots of great things in there, but people don't seem to know about them. So I accept then, that you're going to... Uh, sorry to pause there a second, because I accept that given extra additional access and additional involvement as an insider, then you'll be able to broaden that analysis and you're an auditor as well. You know, you, you, you're, you're going to be able to take your fine tooth comb to things. However, I suppose what I want to also invite is your take as of now as to why that might be. So why do you think there is a disconnect? Why do you think there might be a lack of engagement? What, what do you think is contributing to that? I think the thing, the thing that, that I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly why is the honest answer, Jack. Sure. But I think one of the things is people seem to have, I think a lot of people are, a bit, are burnt out, to be fair. I think a lot of people feel as though it's been a really difficult time. Do people think they have the support they wanted? I don't know. That's, I'm throwing out an open question there. Mm. But I think also, so many people are just, it's a, it almost feels a lot of people, have, we're on a treadmill and they're just churning through it and they haven't got time to stand back and reflect and think, what do I need? What do I really want to ask and where do I want to go? And it feels as though a lot of people, through not necessarily any choice of their own, are having to go through it, just go through the motions. And I think, for me, and probably the biggest reason why I applied right now to do this is I just think we just need to stop, when we get the chance, just stop and really reflect on what's happened, what is happening, what are we going to learn from it, and how are we going to move forward. And I've got a real concern that we won't do that and we'll just carry on going at the pace we're going at and actually not learning from some of the mistakes, but also not learning from some of the phenomenal things that we've seen during this period. I mean, this profession, some of the things I've seen in this profession, they're just mind-blowing, some of the lengths that people have gone to, you know, some of the some of the actions that people have taken. So I think we need to harness some of that and actually get, yeah, almost get some mojo back because it feels like we've lost a bit of our mojo in some ways and there's kind of one group doing this and one group doing that and people say, do we really need to be members anymore? Shall we just get our own insurance? That really concerns me because what you don't, we don't really want a disparate service because we are all definitely stronger together. But right now, I think if we're not careful, there could be a bit of a breakup and I feel that could damage the profession. And, and right now, one of the things that does concern me and another thing that drove me to doing this is, does the public actually know what a physio does? 
And I would argue if they haven't had physio, they'd probably struggle to say what we're about. And I don't just mean MSK, not at all. I mean wider physio. So yeah. if you haven't, you might have had physio and awards, you know, a bit more for whatever award it is. You might have seen the community. But I'm not sure that people really understand what we do. And that actually concerns me as well, because I think there's some great opportunities right now. But if we don't take them, someone else will. So I think that's what we've got to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things just... I'm, I'm nodding along and I'm also thinking about how on my analysis, which obviously is no surprise to this audience really, um, and they'll have heard in different parts of, of, of our broadcasting, is that there's kind of a difficulty sometimes for the CSP to truly champion what members are doing because they might feel conflicted on it. You know, there's lots of interesting things that have happened over the, especially the last 18 months, but of course, 18 years, that, that somewhat from what I see is that there, there is something to, that can be championed and be proud of and that is shared widely by the CSP through various channels if it's done within CSP channels, right? It's, it's, it's difficult for them to, to recognise that for whatever reason that, that members are sometimes doing things often off their own back that, that is well worth, worth shouting about. Do you feel that that's something that, you know, do, do you agree with that for one, but also do you feel like as a, as a councillor you might be able to try and find a way to make it more accessible to champion those successes rather than as always hearing about the critique i completely agree absolutely agree and i think what i'm aware of is when i was working in the independent sector there were some great things that we developed and worked on but they're not always shared in the same way because the you know the nhs is such a huge animal and i sometimes think we allow it to be a huge animal if we don't join ourselves up and share best practice more and share between sectors no one else is going to join with that. Right. And the same with the high street. And you think about um, the high street clinics or you think about the paediatric services that's out there or you think about some of the, the specialists that are the spiritual services, the community services, the links to the GPs. There's some great stuff going on. But it's all in this mixing pot. And it just seems it's in a mixing pot, but no one's filtering through and seeing what's great and sharing it with everyone else. Or if they are, how well advertised is that? You know, and how much collaboration is there? So I think there's a big collaboration and communication piece because I am absolutely sure there's some phenomenal things going on in all the different sectors that would that could be carried across every sector if we had a vehicle by which we could do that. And I think that's something that I'll be really wanting to to understand if I was successful. Mm. You know, how do we look at where the best practice is across the profession? And how do we get that best practice across the other parts of the profession? How many people reinvent the wheel because they don't know that somebody else has done it because no one's talked about it? So are we wasting time doing things 20 times over because it's in 20 different places around the country and 20 different services in five different sectors? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an, yeah, and it's... And it's no doubt a, a challenge, like how to, to bring all that together is, is no doubt doubt difficult. I think one of the things that also, you know, constitutionally that's challenging with the CSP and the council sits at the top of an organisation that is simultaneously a uh, trade union and a professional mm -hmm. body. It does other things, it has other smaller hats it wears, but it's got those two things, those two elements to it that the council represents both. You know, it has its committees at the head of those that, that, that feed council. But as far as decision making, gatekeeping goes, that's the council's responsibility to then inform staff. Um, I just wondered then, what would you say um, is your, your position and where does your skill set speak to both of those wings, shall we say? 
I think where where the thing that I would would say that with let's go back to my hat when I was working in the independent sector, and I appreciate it's much smaller, it was only a thousand people. But one thing that we found there, where you could champion it, was if you actually create some really good communication links, and you actually can show and evidence the value that you can have by moving some of these things forward. What we found we started to do was we used to use the proverbial think global, and by global we meant across all the sites, but take it local. So we gave sort of, um, we, we set up ways where basically we'd say, this is the model we all want to work, this is a really, you know, this is really useful, this is how it adds value, this is how you can take it forward, and then people took it and took it locally, and, and then, you know, moved it out to their sites. And so then you can start benchmarking against each other, benchmarking between, you know, between sectors of the business. And actually, yes, I know the CSP is also a trade union, the staff side of it, but actually what I would argue is it feels right now as though a lot of staff are ready for a bit of a change. It really does. And it does feel as though um, this, what I was finding before I left the independent sector was there was greater collaboration where we were working with the other sectors. And so it felt as though some of those barriers were starting to come down as opposed to it's in the NHS or it's in the independent sector. And I think that's something we have to work on because if we put those barriers up, that's not actually helping our profession either because it then means we're almost creating these little silos that we're going to work in rather than doing something for the whole profession. Got you. Now, one of the things that's it's a really interesting angle here, Graham Pope's just made a, made a comment that uh, to paraphrase, that a lot of the candidates that he's been watching on uh, the this show recently have mentioned that the public don't know what physiotherapists do, but he's saying two things really. It's been on the agenda before for the CSP, and therefore it's not as if it's not been attempted, but no one's really proposing solutions. So what would you say would be the best way to get the public more au fait with what it is that physiotherapists do, if by both of our analysis that is a feature? I think one of the things, and I think it's a great question, Graham, I think one of the things we need to do is start with youngsters. So, you know, get more presence in school. We used to send some of our physios out to school to talk about what we do, not just to bring people into the profession, but also make them aware of what we did. I also think we can have a greater presence on social media as a, as a, as a profession for the public. So my question would be, to council would be, are we in the places where the public are looking or are we sitting in just professional areas of social media so we're only seeing clinical professionals? Or are we in areas where the public are? Are we engaged with the public? You know, Do we have user groups? Do we have people and we say, do you know what a physio does? If it doesn't, where do you think we should be? And we may have done this, I don't know, but these are things that I would want to know because we've been engaging in our, in our new business with um, members of the public and they've head back and they've put blogs and things for us but one of them is saying it's lovely we want to be asked but we're rarely asked by this profession we're asked by hospitals but we're not asked by this profession about the profession so is there an opportunity there and I'm not saying it is or it isn't I'm saying it's something to explore. Now one of the things that I will happily answer as well because I think it's a, it's a really good point Graham but it's one that admittedly I'm uh and Sandra's contributed massively to this work as, as, as hundreds of others have, is that the MSKR manifesto, particularly its influence chapter, spoke very much to that question. So, Graeme, if you haven't read the MSKR manifesto at mskreform.org.uk, particularly that, that influence chapter, uh, but obviously supported by the others, and there's a reason why that is the fifth of five chapters, 
explains a little bit about how some consistency and interaction within the media, recognizing a landscape shift from uh, basic raw journalistic news to edutainment and recognizing that there are ways in which we need to try and capture a cultural zeitgeist about how we might help to scale people's function and that this consistency and, and not instead at the moment the, the disparate changes within clinical practice that can occur due to poor governance underpinning that of which Sandra contributed greatly to the chapter that precedes it. Those sorts of features will only help us to be a louder voice and as Leanne mentioned on uh, was it was it yesterday's show but Sandra said there education within education you know how can we do outreach within schools you know a coordinated scheme by the CSP or anyone that could then mean that then the people power of the membership then reaching out to their local schools you know having having even some sort of templated approach to that to say put us in a, it doesn't matter if it's in, in a few months time but let's have us in an assembly let's try and do that let's try and get people putting themselves forward if they're not the person to be that that front man or woman then someone else will likely be in that locality and usually some people know who that could be uh, for us to get that that word out there so there's a number of different things that uh, certainly on this show maybe not in the last few uh, but we've definitely spoken about before and there's a lot of great ideas out there but the the, is there is there the political will at the CSP to actually act on some of those? Because admittedly, they are braver and bolder and, and somewhat more risky strategies than some of those that have come before it. And so that's one of the big challenges that, that I certainly pose to them. I don't want you to have to piggyback my monologue there, Sandra. If there's anything you disagree with, then feel free to. I'd also love your thoughts on some of that. I, another thing that I think like, is, is we need to keep it simple. I sometimes think we overthink it, for want of a better description. So I think it's good to find out what do the public want, what would help them. And also, another thing I, I'd want to know if I were successful here is how, where do we use the clinical interest groups? You know, how are we using those? Because those are the individuals who actually show that our service isn't just about the high street clinic or the outpatients are showing all the other things and you know what do they think would really help how, i mean i'm assuming we've asked these questions and we probably have but what i was saying is let's ask the public what they want what do they actually want us to do how can we get out there and do it and let's not make it too complicated yeah, I think that's an interesting one. And there's some, there are some small sample survey data that we have. But yeah, well, I definitely would love to look into that. I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to get to everyone's questions and we're nearly out of time. But we've got a great one here that's come in, I think, through Periscope on, on Twitter from Neil Language that hopefully I can bring up on screen. Does the staff side professional split limit potential dynamic and rapid collaborations to support change? I think it speaks to, do you feel that the conflicts of those two, I called them wings uh, of, the, of the CSP, do you feel that they interact positively or negatively? I don't know. So, but it's, great, it's a great question, Neil. And it's one thing I, I would really want to understand because actually if there is a real conflict between those two factions, then we need to address this because the whole thing we know about culture is to make culture work well and to really get to where we want to be and to really facilitate the change is we need everybody on that same proverbial bus. And if we've got some people on the bus going forward and some people on the bus trying to pull it to go backwards, it's going to go nowhere. Now, I, I know that there's no way that this election has turned you into a politician yet. So you can't just keep saying, I'd love to understand more. Of course, you're going to love to understand more. And I believe you. However, I just mean, what, what is your take as it stands? Do you feel that they conflict or support? I would question if they were really supporting each other, why are we still where we are right now? 
Right. That would be my question. Why have we? And it's not avoiding your question. It's because I don't. No, I think that, that that's. No, get. I, I get you. I get you. Yeah. The, the evidence. The evidence is is the. Yeah. I think that's a fair, that's a fair point, isn't it? It does beg the question, doesn't it? That and there might be a good answer to it, but it could be. It could be. I think if they're both aligned, then we should be going forward in that direction. But if you've got one facing forward and one slightly skewed, we're not going in a forward direction. So that's the bit I would want to, I really want to be understanding. Yeah. So, and it'd be interesting. And I think this is another bit that I find interesting. And, and, and Neil may know more from his background is, is there a difference in that perception between the different sectors? Because have they had a different experience? Right. And this is my other bit about this whole idea of physio as a profession. You know, do the various sectors see it very differently because of the actual, you know, the touch points they've had and the um, and the effect that's had on them. And that's something else I think we need to, you know, we need to understand. Uh, also, especially, I think that that probably will have shifted because of COVID as well, isn't it? Absolutely, Where, absolutely. You, you've got, you've got, say, you may well have had more more comms with your, your union rep in the public sector over time and then more recently you might have had a wave in, in, in say the independent sector where they were they were looking for for more guidance on a professional body side because of the uncertainty that existed there um obviously you know we, we were having to generalize a little bit but it would be fascinating to understand that more so i, I do i do understand why you were erring on that or erring on that answer um my favorite person in the comment and chat is sam eaton today because she said lovely things like great live jack thank you sam really appreciate that she also mentioned that graham coth is doing great work in the pandemic creating a network of people across healthcare and well-being to understand what happens each professional silo and looking at better ways of signposting sam i'm not aware of graham's work but i will certainly look into that especially because you posted some lovely comments on the live chat which obviously then qualifies for me to look into it so thank you for that i will have a look we're out of time sandra i'm really sorry about that because we could talk, chat about this sort of stuff for hours no doubt uh, could you just signpost people to where they can find out a little bit more about you and your campaign Okay, so for finding me personally, I'm on LinkedIn, I have Sandra Harding. I'm on Twitter as Sandra at HCPG because that's the business. And also, if you want to know more about general things, I tend to post on the two places HCPG, compliance, there's a hashtag to the business side. As I say, Sandra Harding or Sandra HCPG on my own personal side. Great responses on there, humbled by the things that patients, ex colleagues, you know, students have said for me, yeah, love it. But please, please vote and good luck to everyone. There's some great candidates, so please get your votes in. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and Gemma Oliver's put it nicely here as well. Engage with the process on board with this. We need to start supporting more, support each other and give praise rather than picking fault at times. Um, as Gemma knows, I try and tell that line, not always perfectly, but generally this seems to be a real opportunity for us to get yourself and others, especially those that we're vouching for, but everyone that's on the ballot sheet is looking like you know, this, this, you'd struggle to find a continuity candidate, right? Everyone's recognising that there are opportunities and challenges that we need to embrace and face head on, uh, and I'm really excited to, to, to be bring, bring the sectors together is the main thing. Let's get the collaboration. Let's get rid of the disillusionment. I know it sounds, my glass is always three quarters full. It's not half full, it's three quarters. I might have my rosy coloured spectacles on and all those things, but actually you can make it happen if you want to make it happen. So Absolutely. it comes back to us as well. Well, let's give it. Let's let's give. It, I always think it's let's give it a whirl. I've I've uh, I've I've kind of sneered at the we are the CSP type come by our um, before when it kind of always has amused me a little bit when that's been a retort 
you know, it's like you can't complain about potholes in your own. It's like, no, you should run to be an MP. It's like, it's not always the answer, right? There yeah. are people that, that are sometimes responsible beyond the membership. However, when I look at this and I look at this opportunity, the opportunity for, for people power if we select the right representatives for, for a real positive change in the direction that we've just discussed is a really exciting one. So I really thank you wholeheartedly for putting yourself forward. I couldn't believe my luck when I heard those whispers. And so uh, please, for those that haven't already, look into Sandra's candidacy, Sandra's background and recognise just how well-placed her and the other four picks that we've had on the show uh, in this, this week are um, because I think you you will you will find yourself, especially those in our audience that have been disengaged from this process before, you'll be pleasantly surprised at what is at the moment. So thanks again, Sandra. We'll speak again soon, no doubt. Thank you. Thanks Take for the care. question. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.